Corinthians chapter 8. And as you're turning there, just want to remind you in February, there's a lot going on. You can check the website, go to the calendar of events, and there's all kinds of things happening on a regular basis, but a couple of things just to keep in mind, and we'll have more information in, a, in next, start, you know, starting next week, but our marrieds or our couples, if you're not married but you're a couple, the dinner on the 26th of February, uh, beginning at 5 p.m., that's always a great evening together, and we're looking forward to that. And then on the 27th is going to be our annual business meeting um, right after the service, and uh, we have three open seats for our board and so nominations need to be turned in by the 13th of February. Uh, you can nominate yourself or nominate someone else. Uh, just because you nominate them doesn't mean that they'll, they'll come up for an election, but uh, we'll be able to begin to talk to them and see uh, if they meet all of the qualifications, if they even have a desire to serve. Uh, we have three seats that are open. The only two people that you cannot nominate on the 13th is Cheryl Perkins and Bertie Boyer because they're in the middle of their term already. Praise God. And so looking forward to that. Always an exciting time of the year. Um, how many people have started attending? I better put my glasses on so I can see. <clears throat> how many people in this church today have started attending our church within the last three years? Can I just see your hands? Oh, so you have never heard me preach this message. This will be brand new to you. Those of you that have been here longer than three, it's been three years since I've spoken on this topic. And uh, I say that to say this. If you're a guest here today, I know that finance gets a bad rap in churches. Um, and I, I, I try to preach on it, mixed between preaching and teaching, once a year. But it's been th almost three years now since the last time I've talked about finance. And uh, before I get into the message, I, I need to make some qualifying statements that I'm going to say it and then will not visit it again. When I talk about money at Spirit of Grace Church, I don't talk about it because we need it. This church is a giving church. Uh, I just did the numbers for 2021. Oh, I did them. I copied them and pasted from what Taryn did. <coughs> Um, but put it all together, getting ready for, uh, one of the things with full time, I'm not doing all the business meeting stuff on the night before the business meeting. So I was actually working on that this week and, uh, the giving blew my mind from 2020 to 2021. And I look forward to sharing that with you at the business meeting. Um, and so I don't talk about finance in the church because the church needs the finance. We're not in trouble. We have the money. We have the giving is there, so that that's not why I teach it. There's some churches that do teach it because of that, but I need you to know and just trust me. And you can ask anybody that's been here longer than the three years, and it's one of the reasons why I don't preach on it very often. Is because I don't do it because we're financially in trouble. I also don't do it to wring more cash out of your pocket. That's not the purpose of it. And I will also say this so that you can rest at ease, that after I preach it, if you decide not to follow what I preach, I will never know because I do not know who gives to the church or not. The only one that knows in the church whether you're giving or not will be Taryn because she does the books. 
Okay, I don't. She doesn't give me a report. Like I've said in the past, the only thing I ever ask is I make sure that those on our leadership team are giving. And uh, don't know what you give, but as long as they're giving, then I'll keep them in the leadership team. And uh, because I believe that if you're going to be a leader of a of an assembly, uh, you need to be invested in that. So I said all that to say this: the reason why. I preach this or teach this is because I want to release the grace of God in your life. I want God's grace to overwhelm and overpower all of the things of the enemy. Now, see, we like to, uh, and I apologize for my voice. It's it's coming back slowly this week, but... Uh, we like to preach and teach about deliverance. And we like to have the goosebumps go up and down our, our spine, and, and, and we feel that. And then all of a sudden, when a preacher gets up and starts talking about your money, you're just like, I'm not saying amen to nothing. <laughs> and because, and, and here's, the, here's the thing, I will be the first to tell you that there have been preachers and teachers that have misused, have damaged the credibility, credibility of the clergy, if you will, by not using money properly, by manipulating people into giving where they shouldn't be giving. I don't ever want to manipulate anybody to give. It's the reason why I made the commitment when we came here over 13 years ago that I wouldn't know who gives and who doesn't so that when I get up here and preach, if I look at you, I don't know whether you gave or not. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, it's not me. God's tapping you on the shoulder. But... Uh, I, I pray that you'll receive this. I teach this probably different than a lot of people. And uh, we have had so many people that have come into our church and asked, well, why don't you pass the offering plate? Why, why don't you have ushers that come up and down the aisles? Because I don't want to manipulate anybody into giving. Okay? Uh, I, every church is different, and every church can do how they want to do it. This is the reason why we don't, and this is the reason why I don't. Okay? Because I have been in churches me personally, where I have sat and the offering plate has come by and I didn't have anything to put into it and I felt guilty as the man that was standing at the end of the, I felt like this, I felt like the man that was standing at the end of the pew was looking at me waiting for me to put something in, even though I didn't have it, okay? Uh, I also attended a church and my wife was raised in a church where we marched and that was, that was cool. Everybody marched around during the offering, but you want to know how many people walked, marched around and just did this with nothing in their hand? because they felt like they needed to march with everybody so they didn't get trampled. And, and then they'd walk back, and, and there, were, there, there were Sundays that I would march, and I didn't have anything to give, that I would sit down, and I'd feel guilty because I marched. And so here at Spirit of Grace Church several years ago, we started. There's a box in the back between the doors, and it's available for you to give. You can give online, but we don't pass a plate anymore, and that's the reason why. I don't ever want anybody to feel guilty because they don't have something to give that day or because they're pressured because, you know, and, and it's always the, the ushers were always, when I was growing up, were always the biggest guys in the church, the most intimidating. You know, Bob Dorn was one of our ushers, and he was about 6'3", and 280, 90 pounds, and 
and uh, he didn't smile like you thought he would smile, and he was a great man of God, but intimidating. He was, he was one of the, we called him the holy hitmen, him and... <clears throat> Bob Dorn and Lester Ward, they were, they were the hallway patrol during Sunday school. The two of them walked around, and you didn't mess with them. You, you knew what the snap of their fingers were. Anyhow, I, I, I want to read this passage of Scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because I, I want to tell you that the grace of God is free. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. But you can sow into it. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The grace was given to the churches of Macedonia, and here's the reason why. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Can I just stop right there? And I've been in the ministry since 1988, October of 1988. Okay, you do the math. That's 30-something-odd years. I have only had one person in all 30-some-odd years get irritated with us for not taking an offering. My father-in-law. We would have special services, and we would pass... And collect an offering on the Sunday, but the special services we weren't. And, and he came up to Pastor and I after church one night. He goes, "Why didn't we take an offering?" And Pastor was like, "Well, we, we'll take one on Sunday. We just want people to come." And he goes, "Well, you 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 took away an opportunity for me to give. Only person in my entire ministry that begged to give money to an offering. I think he understood this principle of Second Corinthians eight. And this not as we expected, but I want you to notice this next phrase. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete, or complete among you this act of grace. Everybody say, it's an act of grace. Giving is an act of grace. Your finance is an act of grace. You want more grace? Use more acts of grace. Just saying. It's not me. It's the Bible. But as you excel in everything, in faith, we like preaching about faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. If you're here today and you have sensed the presence of God, can I just share a secret with you, part of the reason why you're sensing that presence is because this church learned how to give. Not because I taught them, because they bought into it long before we came, but it's always been an undercurrent of this church. 
before we had this beautiful sanctuary here, we had a $340,000 mortgage debt, and we had about 45 to 50 people attending, and in nine years, we paid it off. That's part of the reason why you sense what you sense in the house, because the more acts of grace that are given, the more grace that is, because you can't outgive God. So stop trying. I say this not as a command. I say this today, like Paul. I'm not commanding that you turn money over to the church, but I am sharing a principle with you. But I'd want to do this to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. You see, there are too many people in our church that have had the revelation of tithe and offering that has changed their lives drastically for me not to teach and preach this. And so let me just, and I know this isn't my normal blow up the platform kind of message. But this is a message that if you grab a hold of this, I promise you, quoting from the book of Malachi, try me and just see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. That's not my challenge. That's God's challenge. You try this and see what God will do. So there's a couple of things. Let me just say one more thing. Is this okay if I just talk to you a little bit today? When you give to a church, you have to, when you give to a church, you're giving to the body of Christ. You're giving it to the Lord, okay? You've just got to trust that the leaders are going to spend it where it needs to be spent. Because if you get worried about where your dollar goes, you're going to be miserable. Because maybe you wanted a purple sanctuary instead of a gray sanctuary. I've been in a purple sanctuary. It's purple. But the people that are so, it, it almost rips their heart out to put some money in an offering are the people that are worried that it's not going to be. Listen, if you turn it and give it as unto God, God will deal with whoever's spending it. And I'm, I'll be the first to tell you that this church is very wise with its stewardship. We have not blown money. We have not spent money uh, foolishly. We are very careful as a board to do what needs to be done to get to where we're at here today, okay? That's the only statement I'll say on that. There's three things at least why money is important to God. Now, let me just, I feel like I'm going all over, but I'll, I'll tie it together before the end of the day. This is a $5 bill. I am not one of those preachers that will tell you that this $5 bill is evil. I'll take some more. The Bible doesn't say that money is evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. What, what is the love of money then? The love of money is the love of things. It's the love of material. You can't get materials unless you have money. And so you crave the money in order to get the next thing, in order to buy the next thing. And when you become a materialistic individual, you are missing out and you are entrapping yourself 
Does that mean we're not supposed to have some things? No, we can do, it's the priority. Where does it fit on the list? Where are you spending the money? And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. So, number one, the reason why money is so important to God is that it releases his hand of grace. We just read about it. Macedonia was a church that was under affliction, and they were poor. They weren't a rich church. They didn't have multitudes of blessings, but they gave over and above what they even thought they could give because of the joy of being able to help a brother. Can I just tell you, if you can't afford to give, it means that you better start giving. I had one lady look at me and say, well, I don't make enough money to tithe. I said, well, you'll never make enough money then because you are drying up the well by not tithing. My wife was in the other room, and I think she got a little nervous on how I was going to respond. Um, because, because, and I'll get to tithing in a second, You, this is just a conduit of God's grace. And if you, the more you give, the more you shall receive. If you want to give, he'll, he'll keep pouring it in. He'll keep making ways for you to receive it. It releases God's grace. Number two, it is a test and a cure for believers. Let me say that again. It's a test and a cure. It tests you because all of us have a desire to have some of this. Right? If I offered anybody this five, you'd probably take it. That's why I won't offer it. D.L. Moody once said this, whenever he goes to baptize people, he always baptized people with their wallet in their pocket. He said because if there's a new creature, there's got to be new money. He said money and calendars connect you so much to the earth. I've translated or interpreted D.L. Moody's statement a little bit different. You want to know how close and how near God is to you, there's two things that you can check. Your checkbook or online your account since half of us don't have checkbooks anymore. You wouldn't even know what a checkbook ledger is anymore. Some eyes are looking at me, what's a checkbook? Um, look at your account online if you have to. And where is your money going? And look at your calendar, where is your time going? If all your time and all your resources is going to other, the Bible says it this way. Where the treasure is, there's going to be your heart also. So where you're spending your time and your money is where your heart's going to be. I learned this. It's been probably 20 years ago. Maybe a little bit more than 20. We teach Grace College here at the church. I started that when I was in Kansas City. And I wanted to teach, and we set a night aside. And so the first night, we had probably... 20 people show up, and then the next night, the next week, we had about five, and so 15 disappeared, and uh, so the next semester, pastor said, well, just charge 10 bucks, just charge $10, I said, well, what, what do we, oh, just charge $10, so the next semester, we charge $10 per person, just $10 for a semester of school, wouldn't you like that? 
10 bucks. We had about 16 people sign up, paid the 10 bucks. You want to know what? They all stayed every week. What was the difference? $10 investment. Well, I gave money. I better show up. I'm just telling you the way it is. That's a biblical principle. That's not my principle. Jesus is the one that says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where you invest in, that's where your heart's going to be. If you want to invest in the kingdom and you put your money into the kingdom, that's where your heart's going to be. And if your heart is there, that's when God can intervene on your behalf. And then it's a cure for believers. As much as it's a test to you to see where you are in God, it's also a cure. Listen, don't misunderstand when I say this. I do not believe in what is the quote-unquote prosperity gospel where if you give $10, he's, you're going to turn around and somebody's going to give you 100 Okay, God, He may do that. But what I will say is that if you faithfully give and partner with him in finance, he will provide your need. And it may not be money for money. It may be money for health. It may be money for a job. It may be money in, in, in trade off for a family member coming to the Lord. I, I don't know what it is. I just know that he does it. And then the third thing is, and we're going to close today with this, but it attracts the presence of God. You think of that widow with two mites dropping it in the offering plate and the disciples were saying what's two mites that doesn't even get us a quarter of a fish but she gave of what she had and we're still talking about her 2,000 years later she has become a historical figure because she gave her last two mites it attracts God. Now, in society, there's three types of economies. There is capitalism, and when I say three types, there's three types, and there's probably variations within each one of those, so it's not a rock-solid cut and dry, but there's three main rivers of economies in the world. There's the capitalist society. Okay, that, and the main tenet of capitalism is that the individual owns their things. And, and they support one another. And, and what you can do on your own or when you grab a group of people together to build something up, you can do whatever you want to do. It's your capital. And, and it's what America was kind of built on. That's the first kind. But that says that the individual owns it. Okay, the second kind of economy that's in the world is communism or socialism or, 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 or something of that nature. But communism is the underlying, and that is that the state owns it. That means in a communistic economy, the, the people don't own anything. The, the state owns it all, and then they let the people use whatever the state owns. Okay, that's capitalism and communism. I don't want to be a part of either one of those. I want to be a part of the third economy, which is Christianity. That economy says this, everything is God's. And what he gives to me is therefore mine. Okay? Now, if you ever get the principle of this economy, 
it will become so easy for you to tithe and to give offerings. Because when you recognize that what the psalmist said is correct, when he said that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, do you understand that nothing is ours? It's all his. Now, I took this out of my wallet because my wife gave me my allowance this week. <laughs> but that isn't mine. God gave me the means to this. It's the reason why this isn't evil. But when you start loving materials more than the owner of the materials, that becomes evil. That's why Jesus said you can't serve both God and mammon. You're going to either love the one or hate the other. So, so God, this is God's money. This is God's house. My car is God's car. My, my bed is God's bed. My home is God's home. When I get that understanding, tithe and offering is easy to understand. But we have been raised, most of us, in a capitalistic society where it's mine. Mine, 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 mine. I want to own this, and I want to have this. And the word mine is one of the first words we ever learn. And it's one of the last words we ever give up. And we carry that over into our relationship with God. And so we get to a position where I'm giving my money to God like he needs my money. No, no, no. I'm giving back to him what he has already given to me. And the more I give back to him, the more he wants to do through me because I have passed the test and I have been given the cure. And so I begin to give unto the Lord and he begins to give back to me. It's the concept of Christianity. Now, I, 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 I promise I, only have, I don't have that much longer. But I need to give you the difference. Again, all those hands that were raised, you have never heard this from me. So I need you just to wipe out everything you've ever heard about a teaching or preaching about finance, not because they were all wrong, but because in order for you to understand what I'm saying, it's got to be a blank slate. There is a difference between tithe and giving or offering. You do not give a tithe. It's impossible to give tithe. You pay tithe. And there is a difference between paying and giving. Because a tithe is simply an investment, a dividend on an investment. The 10% that God is asking us to tithe, and I know that there's all kinds of teaching out there that says tithing is only Old Testament and tithing isn't New Testament. Jesus said it this way. You do well that you tithe of all of the worldly stuff. That you should do, but don't forget about all of the heavenly stuff. That's Tim Sanders' paraphrase. All of the herbs and things that you pay tithe on that, you should do that, 
But you should not forget the weightier matters, the spiritual thing. It's as important to tithe as it is to do the other things. We just read it in here. Excel in this act of grace. Tithing is, can I, let me put it to you this way. If I'm going to go into business and I give Jason a call and I say, hey, listen, let's start up this ABC company. And I want you to run it. I want you to work it. I want you to make all the money that we can. All I'm asking is I'll give you the finance for it. All I'm asking is that every month you give me 10% of whatever you make. But I'll finance everything else. Would you not want to partner with that? Knowing, number one, that I am a bottomless pit of money as God, If I go broke, I'll go and create a pothole and give you some gold. You get the picture? He's unending in research. Why wouldn't you want to partner? In totality, what you would understand as a businessman is, I've got 90% of everything God wants to give me to do as I need to do. And all he's asking is for 10%. Return on investment. Now here's the thing. I go to Nicole and I say, okay, Nicole, we're going to do EFG business and I'm going to give you everything. All I want is 10% back. And she goes, okay, let's do it. Let's partner. And she goes and she starts the business. And Jason pays the 10% every month, but Nicole thinks, well, I can just pay 8% so that I can just take the other 2% and do this and do this. And I know because I've seen the books as God. What the percentage is. Who am I more apt to reinvest in? Am I going to reinvest in Jason or am I going to reinvest in Nicole? I'm going to reinvest in Jason. Read the parable of the talents. It's exactly the same principle. The one that went out and did and made compared to the one that hid He came and he took everything that the person that didn't do anything and gave it to the person that did. Well, that's not fair. That was my money. That's in capitalism. But we're in Christianity. It's all mine to begin with. I gave them everything they needed. I just wanted 10%. God has given you everything that you have. And he's waiting to reinvest the dividends in you if you'll begin to give that tenth. It's the reason why you can't give a tithe. Because giving comes from your heart. The tithe is a business transaction. Does that make sense? Well, pastor, you're just wanting the tithe. No. I don't want the tithe. He wants his tithe. Now, I preached this several years ago, and there's some of you that are in here that could stand and testify that when I taught it, they didn't understand it right away, but they said, well, it's in Scripture. (coughs) Excuse me. It's in Scripture, so we better do it. Smart decision, by the way. And so they did it because... Scripture was saying to do it. 
and they've kept doing it. And the Lord has kept them every step of the way. Can I just tell you, I don't know how this works. Someday we'll ask God. Well, let me put it, I, I do kind of know how it works. So let me go back to ABC Company since that's the better company. So Jason, in whatever we're, there's a dry spot right back there that I can't get taken care of. So if Jason comes to me and says, I've done everything that I can imagine of trying to move into this area of business, and I can't, can't quite figure it out, and I need, <coughs> this is getting frustrating. tells me that somebody's catching this. Jason comes to me and says, I, I don't know what to do. I've tried it all. What do you think? Well, I am invested in him. He has partnered with me. I have unlimited resources. And the one that's been faithful has come to me do you not think I'm going to open up my pocketbook to help since he's done everything he's supposed to do and he's paid back on my dividends? Can I just put it kind of in a more brash statement? A more almost rude statement? When you ask me to pray for your finances... The first question I will ask you is, are you tithing? And if you tell me no, I will tell you, well, then I don't need to pray. I have the answer. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. That one even tastes good. I, 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 I don't mean to be... My Lord, it's a rough day. Um, I, I, I have your answer. This is terrible. I don't need to pray for it because God's got the answer already. Tithe. Now, if somebody tithe, says, yes, I'm tithing, I can say, well, God said this. Now you can test me. God, you promised us that we could test you if we're partnered with you. So now, God, I'm asking you to touch their finances. And because you have tithed and partnered with him and paid that 10%, well, pastor, is that gross or net? I can only tell you what we do. We do the bigger one. Because I want bigger grace. <coughs> That's tithing. 
a return on investment. You can't, you can't give it. You can only pay it. And then there is giving. Giving comes from generosity. Giving comes from your heart. Giving comes from what has God done that you can repay to him. Giving comes from, he, he, he's, he's, he's done so much for me. How can I not give back to him? How can I not put it back towards him and his kingdom and the people that he's trying to touch? I want you to look over at chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Giving is above and beyond tithe. And if you've never been a giver before, I challenge you to do so. If you give online here at the church, you will see the different breakdowns of where you can put general general fund and building. And there's one on there that says His Hour. His hour is not necessarily a biblical thing. His hour is simply something that we learned a long time ago to teach people that have never given how to start giving. And so we declare the first hour of the week, of your work week, unto the Lord. And we did it in three ways. Number one, you have a spiritual conversation with somebody. And that may be a simple hello and a smile. Number two, you find somewhere in that hour for, for prayer. And then number three, you dedicate that one hour's wage in giving. And it, it was an entry-level way of learning how to give. So if you made $20 an hour, that's, that's what we gave. That's not where you stay. Giving becomes a personal thing. It's the other reason why I don't know who gives and who doesn't give. Because some of you have paid tithe faithfully. Some of you have given above and beyond. And, and so we, we, we give as unto the Lord through generosity, through the grace that is given to us. Notice in chapter 8, we're going to get to 9 in a second, but notice in the first verse the grace of God that was given to the churches for the purpose of their wealth of generosity. As they gave, God gave. Actually, it was God gave, so they released it. God gave more, they released it. Okay? So now in chapter 9, in verse number 10, it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I want you to notice, and it's talking about being a cheerful giver in this passage, I want you to notice that he supplies your need and an increase of your harvest. doesn't say money. 
it says an increase of your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way. Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. As you give, it will produce thanksgiving to God. And the psalmist said this, enter into his gates with your giving opens up the door to the entrance of the presence of God. I want you to think about this. But, but just a second, let me read just a little bit further. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel and the generosity of your contribution for them and all the others. Your money is linked with those you come in contact giving glory to God. That's not me. This isn't my lesson. This is his word. As you give generously, he will give generously. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. As you give, they recognize through God that you are connected to him and they begin to long for you. And we preach around here all the time, oh God, that they would see you in me. Can I tell you what this scripture is saying? Is every time you give in secret, God uses you in public. Every time, it doesn't matter if it's 50 cents or $50 or $50,000. It's not the amount that is important. It's the motive behind the amount that is important. It is the power of unleashing, unleashing the purse, if you will. And when you put that in there, God begins to let his reflection hit you and begins to see others begin to see him in you. It's amazing. But if you are not willing to sow, notice verse 11, he who supplies seed to the sower, it's not your money. But if you're not going to sow it, do you think the giver of the seed is going to keep giving the seed? Because God's intention is to reach as many people as possible. So he's going to give those that are willing to sow. Can I just tell you that the farmers of old didn't sow by going and putting one little seed 
yet that's sometimes how we give. I'll put 50 cents here, maybe a dollar here. Need a Big Mac today, so I'll only give you five today. The sower grabs a handful. And just casts it out. You want to know why? Because the sower knows that it's not his seed. And he knows if he spreads the seed, the seed giver will put back into his pouch. And the more often he casts it out, the more often gets filled. Let me say this. Math man, you ready to do some math in your head? I'll even give them big numbers. 275,000 divided by 150. I'll give you a second. We have approximately 150, a little bit more than that actually, that have turned in their names as members of this church. Our offerings in 2020 were about $275,000. Thank you. So you think about it. For 150 people, and all of the people that we have touched in lost sheep, and all of the people that we've touched in our orphanage, and all of the people that we've touched over in Russia, all of the people that have gone through chain breakers, all of the people that have come into this house and begun to touch the things of God, is $1,800 worth it? Is $1,800 worth it? My heart is excited. And you know that I preach vision and I preach God's getting ready to do something. But do you understand today that your tithe and your offering is a trigger point to touch people for the kingdom. And the more that we give, the more that we're able to touch. Can I just tell you, I'll speak for the board on this. If somebody came up and gave us a million dollars, we wouldn't blow it. We'd make sure the building's all covered. We'd make sure part of that is going out to somebody else, supporting somebody else. We'd set up a benevolence count, account and be able to help people. L listen, we're not into to, to trying to figure out how much more money. We are a nonprofit. 
We're not looking to make money. We're looking to make people. We're looking to reach families. We're looking, but all of that comes from this excelling in this particular act of grace. Listen, we've got the music. We've got the anointing. We've got the teachers. We've got the Sunday school mechanism. We've got the catalyst mechanism. We've got chain breakers. We've got somebody having their ministry called lost sheep that are reaching out to people all over. We've got all those things going on. But can I just tell you that we have to excel in this act of grace as well. Remember, I'm not teaching this because we need more money. I'm teaching this because I want you to be doubly blessed. And I'm teaching it so that the person that's not in the seat next to you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I close with this out of Acts chapter 10. Cornelius. Now you have to understand, Cornelius was not a Jew. The gospel had not been preached to the Jews yet. The cross had not been offered to the Gentiles yet. The, 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 the whole concept of salvation, that door had not yet been opened to the non-Jew. And yet, notice what it says. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household. But then notice this. He gave alms generously to the people. And prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. What is it, Lord? And he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And if you read the rest of Acts chapter 10, the gospel of salvation is open to the Gentiles. How many people here are not Jews today? Can I tell you, hands are raised all over. Can I tell you, you have received the gospel because Cornelius' alms and prayers went up to God. Who are we going to open a door for through our alms and our prayers being given to God? This is the reason why I speak about money. Not because of the dollar, but because of the people. What neighborhood is going to open up that hasn't been opened up yet? Because our alms have gone unto God for a memorial. There is power. Not in the dollar or the five dollar. But there is power in the releasing of it into the kingdom. Praise God. 